This morning, if you would stand, we'll continue with our song service. John chapter 14, verse number 11 says, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Good to be in the Lord's house today. Brother Beavers, would you open us in the Lord? Join us as we sing hymn number 
seated. Let God's children Forty years He led them Through the cold And through the night No They said Let's turn back Moses said Keep going Canaan land Is just inside
is where I'm going. Canaan land is just inside. Canaan land is just
Amen. My name's Kevin Metzinger. I pastor here. I haven't preached a lot of late. I apologize for that. We uh, have had uh, opportunity to have several guest preachers, um, so we kind of got that out of our system. Uh, so uh, anyhow, I just wanted to remind you who I was. If you would take your Bibles, turn to the book of Esther, the book of Esther. It's good to have the Motleys here from the great north. They've come down to be with us. Hopefully they brought snow in their luggage. How many of you remember the October surprise? Man, that was a long time ago. We got that big snow and we had limbs broke all over the place. A lot of cleanup. Uh, just uh, just quite a, was quite a surprise. So... Uh, anyhow, hopefully that won't happen again, but uh, are anticipating what the Lord has for us. So I've come to the book of Esther today. Um, I've wanted to preach a message about anger. I have um, observed a lot of anger in our culture today. Observe a lot of anger uh, in the Christian realm. Um, and I've got to admit, there's times I find anger in myself, and I'm not happy with it. Um, and so this is as much uh, me preaching to myself as I'm preaching to you. I wrote at the top of the, the, the book here where it says the book of Esther. 
We're going to be looking at the first seven chapters today, so we may not get out it, you know. But it's okay, we'll have lunch, well, anyhow, we'll have early afternoon service at one, and we'll already be here for it. But, um, so I wrote at the top of the book of Esther there, I put seven chapters of the book deal with wrath of man. Isn't it amazing, a book named after a woman, and it's full of man, men's wrath, actual men. It's talking about their anger and about their wrath. And so I don't normally preach this way. Uh, so I have been to Bible college, and I understand there are several different ways to preach. You can preach topically, where you pick a target and you shoot all, use all the Bible all over the place to secure your target. Uh, expositionally, where you take a passage or a phrase and just preach that little bit. But this is going to be more of a storyline. Okay, so we're going to move through this kind of in the story format because I want you to see how it all unwinds and how it develops. So our title is Anger Slash Wrath. We're going to begin in Esther chapter 1 and verse number 1. If you can, stand with me in reverence to the reading of the Word of God. I'll begin to read and feel free to follow along. Now it came to pass in the days of Artaxerxes, this is Artaxerxes which reigned from India even to Ethiopia, over a hundred and seven and twenty providences, that in those days when King Artaxerxes, uh, Artaxerxes sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan, the palace. And uh, in the third year of his reign, he made a feast unto all his princes and his servants, the power of Persia and Meda, the princes or the nobles and the princes of the providence being before him. When he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the honor of his excellent majesty many days, even a hundred and fourscore days. So that's 180 days. And when these days were expired, the king made a feast unto all the people that were present in Shushan, the palace, both unto the great and small, seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace, where were white, green, and blue hangings fastened with cords of fine linen and purple to silver rings and pillars of marble. The beds were of gold and silver upon a pavement of red and blue with white and black and marble. And they gave them drink in the vessels of gold, the vessels being diverse one from another, and royal wine in abundance. So they didn't have the cheap stuff. They had the best that the land had, according to the state of the king. And the drinking was according to the law, None did compel, for so the king had appointed to all the officers of his house that they should do according to every man's pleasure. Also Vashti, the queen, made a feast for the women in the royal house, which belonged to the king Artaxerxes. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for our time together this morning. I pray to God that you'd help me to convey those things that have been upon my heart and my mind and Lord, I pray that I do so in a way that would bring honor and glory to you. I pray that we would learn from your word about the importance of anger and wrath and how that we need to be very careful with it. We need to control it even in our own lives. And Lord, I pray that you'd give us wisdom as we deal with those issues today. And might this just be a starting block of something that we would pursue to even consider in the days and the weeks ahead. Might it not just be one sermon and done, 
but might this be a point that we would stop and consider for our lives what kind of men and what kind of women we truly ought to be. Thank you for our time together today. We love you. We ask these things in your blessed and most holy name. And all the people said, Amen. You may be seated. So we go on uh, with this um, story here in verse number 10 that it was on the seventh day when the king was made merry. And you know, the king has laid out the spread here. I mean, for 180 days, he has been showing his wealth. Now, what this says to me is that the king was a very prideful man. He's showing all his wealth. He's showing everything that he has. He wants everyone to know how rich he is, how wealthy he is. He just wants everyone to take notice of the fact that he is one wealthy guy. And then we come to, uh, once he's done showing everything for 180 days, that he's going to take seven days, he's going to throw a feast, and it's going to be a wild, debaucherous party. Okay, they're going to let the wine flow, it's going to be the good stuff. They're just going to step back, they're going to celebrate. The king says, hey, you all have helped me uh, to uh, get all this, and so I want to acknowledge you. Some scholars that I've read after have said that he did this every year on the anniversary of his coronation as king. And so he's celebrating with his kingdom. Hey, I've been here. This is on the third year of his reign uh, that he's been there. He showed all his stuff. And now he's throwing this massive party for everyone to enjoy. And so here he is on the seventh day. The seventh day, things will begin to wind down, you know. Uh, We did find that uh, just previous in verse number nine, that the queen also had her feast. And she had all the women at her feast. So here's the guys all at, at a party, uh, and they're, they're, they've drunk, and they've eaten, and they've, they're to the full tilt. And the king's probably told all the things that he knows. He's shown everything that he has. Uh, you know, I've, sometimes I, I've uh, observed men, and they, what they like to do is they like to uh, show people some things, and they like to show... Uh, maybe their football trophies from when they were in high school, or they like to talk about how they played Little League, or they like to show what they've done in their life. And this is where the king's at. He's showing everything that he has. The seventh day, things are kind of winding down. The party's getting a little slow. So he says this. He says in verse number 11, Bring Vasti, the queen. Bring her in the crown royal to show the people and the princess her beauty. For she is fair to look on. Now, the one problem is, is that the queen has more character than the king. The queen is asked to come because she is very beautiful. That only makes common sense, right? If I'm king and I'm super rich, I have the prettiest girl in the land to be the queen. I mean, it's just the way it happens. Everybody knows the queen is beautiful. But the party's winding down. It's just kind of lost its luster. So he says, you know what? Let's bring the queen in. Let's bring her in the crown royal. Let's show off the crown. Let's show off the beautiful woman. I've been showing off everything else that I have and everything else that I possess. But the queen wasn't having it. Matter of fact, verse number 12. But the queen Vasti refused to come at the king's commandment by his chamberlains. Therefore, the king was, and you might underline this, very wroth very wroth, and his anger burned in him. Now, you know, a lot of times I think that we find phrases that people use 
in the Bible. Like, have you ever said, or have you ever heard said, man, that burns me up? That's the king. It burned him up. He's burning with anger. What? The queen won't come? Doesn't she understand I'm the king? Doesn't she understand that she's only here at my beckoning? And so then he's mad, he's angry. The king is an angry man in the midst of all this partying, in the midst of showing all his wealth, in the midst of all the drinking. Here he becomes very angry and very upset. This word wrath is an interesting word. It means very angry. We could figure that out, right? Much exasperated, not quite to wrath, but close. Anger that burned within him is a violent passion of the mind excited by a real or supposed injury. And so he's saying to himself, look, she's injured me. I've invited her to come. I want her to come. I'm king. I command her to come. But she's told me no. No one tells me no. I can just hear it. Can anyone else hear it? I can hear it in his head. I can hear it play, replay, 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 replay. Hey, stuff like that just doesn't leave. Okay, I'm the only human being here that ever feels this way. So I'm going to preach to me. You all enjoy it, okay? So the way it is, preacher is that this anger just goes on and on and on, and you replay it over and over because you're injured, because you feel like you deserve better. That's where the king is. The king feels like, hey, who is she to tell me? I'm the one in charge here. I have all the wealth. I have everything. She is here because I said she can be here. Who is she? What does she think? So it becomes just more and more stewing and burning and violence and anger is heaping up within him to the point that he's... Even in the midst of all his drinking, he becomes an angry drunk. You know, there's two different kinds of drunks. There's like the angry drunk, and then there's the happy drunk. The happy drunk, he gets drunk, he's just happy. He's giving away all his money, and he loves everybody, and all that kind of stuff. When I grew up, my, my grandpa was an angry drunk. So he ran a western store. And he, would, he was a functioning alcoholic. He would be there, open the store at 8 o'clock in the morning, stay to 6 o'clock that night, uh, running his store very efficiently. We would get done, we would head home. He would eat a little bit of supper, and then he would grab a, a half gallon of Jack, and he'd grab two glasses, a glass of ice and an empty glass, and he'd go into the living room, and he'd clear off the little table there by the couch, and he'd begin to drink. Every night, he did this. He would sit there, and he'd begin to drink with the purpose of getting totally blown. He would sit there and drink, and then he would begin, and it didn't matter if anyone was in there or not. He began down the list of everyone who had ever wronged him. And uh, I remember being out there as a young teenage boy, and... Um, he would say, Kevin, let me tell you something about people. He goes, they'll just do you wrong. And he'd start in a list of this guy did me wrong, and this guy did this, and this person did that. And, and of course, intermixing with lots of colorful language as he described all these individuals. And he'd do that till about 11 o'clock. And then he'd stumble in, go to bed, go back to work. And the next day, the same whole routine over and over and over. And I felt sorry for him. 
I felt like, man, if he, he created stress in his own life because he had allowed this, this anger, this upsetness to become bitterness in his life. That's what happens to anger if we allow it to dwell too long in our life. We become bitter. So if we have anger in our life, what we need to do is we need to resolve it. Don't live as an angry person. Don't live as the person that looks, looks for that opportunity to get mad and then blow up. So my wife will tell you. My motto used to be, I don't get mad, I get even. Until I met a friend that taught me, I don't get mad, I get ahead. And I lived by that for years. I lived by that motto. That was my motto. And uh, I, I hate to say it, that was my motto. But she'll testify that's no longer my motto. That's no longer my motto. I don't know exactly where it was. I know it was with the grace of God and the word of God and dealing with anger and purifying, trying to purify myself from it over and over and over again. I've, I've conquered most of that anger. It wasn't easy. You just don't sit down and go, well, I'm going to quit being angry. It takes a lot of work. It takes a willingness to allow people to help you deal with it. You say, I can, I can tell Brother Chuck, hey, you got an anger problem, and he can do one, two things. He can throw a wall up to where I can't help him with it, or he can go, can you help me with that? I said, yeah, the first thing we need to do is we need to pray every day that God would help you control that, to bring it under control in your life. And uh, so we have the opportunity, we determine what we're going to be. You say, well, I was born angry. Yeah, so was most of us, okay? It's just the natural outpour. I mean, who likes driving down I-35 and to be zooming in in a hurry, and all of a sudden you stumble upon the car going 35? Ugh. Or how do you like to be driving down the road and that, uh, have that car cut you off? And make you have to change even your speed. I hate having to change my speed. I have cruise control for that. But have to hit the brake and take it off cruise and allow them to come, come in and slow you down. Or just, I've watched cars slide all the way across. So they're just on a rampage. They want to hit that exit. And so they just start across. Do, 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 and across. Anger can, it can come very easily in our life. But we've got to recognize, oh, wait a minute, I'm getting angry. I don't, want, I don't want this to end up in road rage. That's a real problem in America today, road rage. Man, it used to be guys solved it with their fists. Now it's guns, cars, knives. I mean, you know, we need to realize that what we need to do is we need to learn anger is real. It's in my life. It can be in my heart, and I need to deal with it. I need to ask God to help me to control it, not to allow it to have full reign in my life, my body. I need to learn to control this thing called anger. And so the queen wouldn't come. So we're going to speed up so we don't have to read it all. But uh, so the king, in all his wisdom, goes to his peers, asks what we ought to do. They say, the queen ought to go. You need to get a new one. So we go to chapter 2 and verse number 16. And we see that Esther's taken into King Artaxerxes into his house royal in the 10th month. 
And the king loved Esther above all the women, and she obtained grace and favor in the sight more than uh, all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. So here he is. He finds Esther. He uh, promotes her to queen. Vashti's gone. And so now we have Queen Esther. Esther is a Jew. Esther is a Jew, and she has an uncle named Mordecai. You go back and you read. You'll read about how Mordecai and how he's working behind the scenes here. Anyhow, we come to verse number 22 of chapter 2. And the thing was known unto Mordecai. So there's these two, two guys, the king's chamberlains. They're going to overthrow the king. They're wroth also, by the way. And they're going to overthrow the king. And so the thing was known to Mordecai, who told it unto Esther the queen. And Esther certified the king, therefore, in Mordecai's name. And when inquisition was made of the matter, it was found out, therefore, they were both hanged on a tree, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles before the king. So Mordecai overhears these chamberlains. They're talking about, man, I'm so mad at that king. I tell you what, let's overthrow the kingdom. Let's kill him. And so these, these two guys are saying about thinking no one hears. And uh, Mordecai hears. So Mordecai goes to Esther. Esther goes to the king and says, look, I've got that on good word that this is what happened. This comes from Mordecai, the Jew, who sets in the gate. And the king brings those two guys in. They do inquisition. Sure enough, it's, it's what's happening. And so he hangs them on a tree. Recorded in the book. Then we come to chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse number 1, we find that Haman is advanced, the latter part of verse 1, he, that he's advanced and set his seat above all the princes that were uh, with him. And so uh, the king Artaxerxes looks out, he's looking for a right-hand guy, he looks out and he goes, oh, Haman, that's the guy. So he brings Haman up and he, he exalts him, puts his seat above all the others, so there would be the king, there would be... Haman, and then there would be all the other counselors right there. And so uh, he, he's brought him up. He's elevated him. And so part of the thing that goes along with the advancement that was given, the promotion that was given, was that every time that Haman would go by, everyone was to bow and to reverence him. Well, that was okay with everybody but Mordecai. He wasn't having it. He wasn't going to bow to a man. He's a Jew. He recognizes God as God. Man doesn't deserve that kind of prestige. Could you imagine if I said, uh, we're, you know, we're going to elevate Brother Charles because he's been here two and a half years, and I want you all to bow as he walks down the aisle? That wouldn't go over, would it? No, not one bit. Because we don't elevate men around here, do we? I said, we don't elevate men around here, do we? And so Haman sees Mordecai, the Jew, not bowing, not reverencing, not showing any respect, basically. And so it just begins to burn him up. His anger begins to roll within him. And so in verse number 2 of chapter 3, it says, And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman. And the king had so commanded concerning him, but Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. And verse 5, And when Haman saw Mordecai bow not, nor did he reverence, that was, then was Haman full of wrath. So we have a new word. We have anger, we have wrath, and now we have wrath. So he becomes full of wrath. Look at what verse 6 says. And he thought, to, uh, thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone. 
So do you think he was going to like pat him on the back? No. So we have that anger. We have wrath. Now we're at wrath. Wrath is that instrument that if we dwell in anger and we become wrath, it will lead to wrath. And wrath is where we want our vengeance. What Haman wants. I want vengeance. Mordecai's not bowing. Mordecai's not reverencing me. The, one of the big problems is, is that Haman is full of pride. By the way, you know what's in the center of pride? I. How'd you like that theological update? I. If you have pride in your life, you're thinking too much of you. Every time pride shows up in my life, I have to go, wait, wait a minute. This isn't my wife's fault. It's not the church's fault. It's not Brother Chuck's fault. It's my fault. Pride exists because I allow it to exist. And why is it? I, I love the Apostle Paul so much in the fact that he said, when he referred to himself, I am chief of all sinners. Paul had the right relationship. He recognized, I am nothing outside of God. I do not deserve to live. I do not deserve to breathe. I sure don't deserve heaven. But God, who loved me, cleansed and purified me and has now given me a home in heaven. And I'm going to go to heaven because of the grace of God. Not because I've ever been good enough. Not because I deserve it. Not because of the things that I've done warrant it. But because of the goodness of God. Amen. And so he becomes very wroth. He's promoted. He's self-willed. He's prideful. That's kind of amazing to me. I wrote here, birds of a feather flock together. The king is an angry man, and he chooses an angry, wrathful man to be his companion, to be the second in charge. That might make us want to just consider, when we look at leadership, if I can find faults in the leader, then I'll probably find them in the lesser. And so Haman is a very a very wrathful man. He wants to kill Mordecai, and he goes about to kill all the Jews just because he would not bow. That word wrath there means violent anger, a vehement exasperation, indignation. And the effects of anger are found in Proverbs 27, 3 through 4. It says, A stone is heavy and sand weighty, but a fool's wrath is heavier than them both. Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? Haman set out and he, he fell this part of being a fool and wrath became heavy upon him. He should have been joyful about the fact, I'm second in charge, look at what I get to do. I get to go around, people reverence me, they acknowledge me, but all he could think about was Mordecai. All he could think about was, I'm going to destroy that guy. How dare that guy not do what he ought to do? It was his pride and his self-will. And now the wrath has filled his heart. And he says, I'm not just going to kill him. I'm going to kill all of them. I'm not even going to ask for a show of hands who's ever thought, boy, if I could just, if I could just, if I could just deal with that person, not necessarily kill that person, if I could just deal with that person, I'd take care of that situation. So we see that Esther is challenged to stand. She, Mordecai goes to her and says to her that uh, this is what's going to happen. 
and uh, uh, the, they've already signed the decrees. Uh, the posts have been sent. They're going to kill all the Jews. And by the way, Esther, that's you. You are Jew, you will die. Doesn't matter if you're the queen or not. You are Jew, you will die. And so we come to the end of chapter 4, uh, the next to the last verse, and she ends with this thought, If I perish, I perish. And Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded. So they're all fasting and praying three days. She's going to come forth and she's going to talk to the king. She acknowledges the fact she cannot just go into the king's presence. If she goes into the king's presence without being asked to come and he doesn't extend the scepter, her life could be taken from her. And so she says, fast and pray. So three days go by. We find uh, that Esther is in her royal apparel and she goes in before the king the king extends uh, the scepter to her and uh, we find in verse number eight the latter part let the king and haman this is her request if i found favor in the sight verse eight if i found favor in the sight of the king and if it pleased the king to grant my petition and to perform my request let the king and haman come to the banquet that i shall prepare for them and i will do uh, tomorrow as the king has said. And so the king wanted to know what she wanted. She said, look, why don't you come to this banquet I'm going to fix, and uh, I'll tell you at the banquet. Why don't you bring Haman with you? Why don't you both come? So, okay, that's what we're going to do. Now, Haman, Haman goes home. We're still in chapter 5. Haman goes home. He's still steaming over Mordecai. I mean, it's horrible. And so verse number 14 of chapter 5 then said Xerxes, the, his wife, and all of his friends unto him, Let a gallows be made of fifty cubits high, and tomorrow speak thou unto the king that Mordecai may be hanged thereon. Then go thou merrily with the king unto the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman, and he caused the gallows to be made. So all night long throughout the city you hear hammer and nails. Bang, 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 bang. They're building this gallows. I'm sure everybody's wondering, why are they building this gallows right outside of Haman's house? 50 feet high. That's a pretty big structure. It's going to stand out. Notice, he didn't want to do anything small. He didn't want to kill Mordecai on the side. He wanted it to be so everybody could see. He's going to hang him. He's sick and tired of this lack of respect. His wrath has just full rage in his body. Chapter 6. Verse number one, on that night, the night that the gallows is being built, maybe because of all the loud noise out in the street, on that night could not the king sleep, and he commanded to bring the book of records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. Now this could be because he's such a prideful man, he likes to hear of all the things that he's done. Very well could be, it would fit with the pride in this man's life. Verse two, and it was found written that Mordecai, had told of uh, Bigathath and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the door, who sought to lay him, lay hand on the king Artaxerxes. And the king said, What honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? Then said the king's servants that ministered to him, There's nothing done for him. And so the king is kind of waking up here. He's seeing that, hey, wait a minute. This guy saved my life. These two guys were guilty. We hung them on a tree, but... I didn't do anything to honor Mordecai. I ought to do something for this guy. I ought, to, I ought to do something for him. And so in verse 4 it says, And the king said, Who's in the court? Now Haman was come 
into the outward court of the king's house to speak to the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows that had prepared that he had prepared for him. Now, there's some parts of the Bible that I'm going to be honest with you make me smile. This is one of them. The other one is like when the three Hebrew children are they're getting cast into the fire, and they go, "Hey, king, we don't we we just tell you this. We don't know if we're going to live or die, but you know God's going to do what God does." And all of a sudden, the king looks in. There's four men walking about in the fire. I, that just makes me smile every time. So this makes me smile, okay? And so Haman comes in, and he's like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to tell the king that I, need, I built this gallows. I want to hang Haman. It's going to be great. But before he could get the words out, as he comes in, the king says to him, so what do you think ought to be done to a man that the king delights in? Verse 6. Now Haman thought, in his heart, to whom would the king delight to do honor more than myself? That just cracks me up. And Haman answered, because he's thinking it's him, right? Pride is in full blow, okay? Haman answered the king, for the man whom the king delighteth to honor. Let the royal apparel, he's thinking, I want to be dressed like never before. Bring the royal apparel, that it be brought, which the king useth to wear. So everybody will know, hey, this is not Haman's duds. These are the kingly clothes. We want it to be recognized. That the king wear, and the horse that the king rideth upon, and the crown royal, which is set upon his head. Boy, you talk about feeling proud. King, I want your clothes, I want your horse, and I want your crown. Uh, That right there would have probably made me want to put him to death. And let this apparel and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that they may be that they may array the man with all whom the king delighteth to honor, and bring him on horseback through the city, uh, through the street of the city, and proclaim before him. Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. Oh, I love it! I love it! Here it is! Here it is! Verse ten. Then said the king to Haman. Make haste! And I'm sure Haman's thinking, yes, this is going to be awesome, this is going to be great! Yeah, make haste! And take the apparel and the horse, as thou hast said, and do even so to Mordecai. I love it! I love it! Boy, I tell you, if you're a dry Bible reader, I feel sorry for you. The Bible is so exciting. Think about it now. Okay, just think about this. Haman's come in with the idea, Mordecai's got to die. He's got to die. I'm going to talk to the king. He's going to die. He's going to leave going, now I've got to take Mordecai, put him on a horse. He's going to ride around with the crown royal. And I've got to lead him through the city. Tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. He has the greatest sense of humor ever. So many times we think that we have to take care of vengeance on our own. You realize if we'd back off, God's got such better plans. I mean, Mordecai could have said, well, look, you know, Haman's trying to put me to death. I'm going to get there before he does. I'm going to see that he gets put to death. That was, Mordecai doesn't have the foggiest idea. But Haman, in his pride and his self-will, is thinking, Haha, boy, put me in the king robe, put the crown on my head, on the king's horse. People are going to... Be thinking, when the king's done, Haman's the man. Oh, Haman, go and do so to Mordecai. <laughs> love it. Love it. This is going to make me happy all day long, I tell you. I just love it. All right. 
Everybody else is happy? We ought to be very happy. All right, so here we go, chapter 7. We're almost done. Well, at least we're in chapter 7. So the king and Haman came to the banquet with Esther, the queen. And the king said unto Esther on the second day at the banquet of wine, What is thy petition, Queen Esther? And it shall be granted thee, and what is thy request? And it shall be performed even to half of the kingdom. It's a good thing she was focused, or she might have been distracted. She could have up to half the kingdom, but she's not going to do that. Then Esther the queen answered and said, If I found favor in thy sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. For we are sold. And she goes on to explain about what's happened. So now imagine. Here's the king. Here's Haman. And here's the queen. And the king is like, okay, what do you want, Esther? We've been dealing with this for a couple of days. What is it that you want? She goes, well, king, I'd like to have my life. And I'd like to have the life of my people. That's a very simple request, isn't it? The king ought to be able to grant that just like that. It shouldn't be a problem. She's not asking for wealth. She's not asking for fame. She's not in, by the way, we would say that Esther's a very humble lady, right? She stands in great contrast to the two men that she is with. The king is prideful. I think uh, Haman's probably even more full of pride. He's very selfish and self-willed. So here we have a picture of humility. She says, King, I'd just like to have my life and the life of my people. Now, if I'm king, I'm all about that. Yeah, that, that won't be a problem. So when she says that in verse 5, then King Artaxerxes answered and said to Esther the queen, um, Who is he? Now, think about it. Okay, we got that picture in our mind, three of them together. The king's asking who it is, and Haman's going, Uh-oh. You ever been in a situation you'd like to crawled out the room and so no one saw you leave? I think that's where Haman is. Who is he? Where is he that does presume in his heart to do so? And Esther said, the adversary and the enemy is this wicked Haman. Then Haman was afraid before the king and the queen. And the king, arising from the banquet of wine in his wrath, went into the palace garden. And Haman stood up to make request for his life to Esther the queen, for he saw that there was evil determined against him by the king. And the king returned out of the palace garden into the place of the banquet of wine. And Haman was fallen upon the bed, wherefore Esther was. He had gone over to beg for his life. He had fallen maybe in her lap. And the king comes in and he goes, What are you doing? This is my wife. What are you who do you think you are? He's already mad. This does, I'm guaranteeing you this doesn't help the situation. Then said the king, Will he force the queen also before me in the house? As the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. The guards grabbed him. Everybody knew it was over now for Haman. We find the male part of verse number 9. Behold also the gallows, fifth cubits high, which Haman had made for Mordecai, who has spoken good for the king, standeth in the house of Haman. Then the king said, Hang him thereon. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. 
Then was the king's wrath pacified. What a story. What a story. So there's some lessons. Unchecked anger leads to wrath. Okay? We're all flesh and blood, right? And I would say all of us, except for maybe the sweetest, dearest, oldest lady among us, all the rest of us deal with anger on some wave or the other. And we all need to learn to grasp it and to control it. Anger and pride, or anger and wrath, both have pride at their center. Human, or Haman, had horrible counselors. Haman went to the counselors that sat at the gate and talked about Mordecai, and he listened to them. And then he went home and he talked to his wife and he talked to his friends, and they said, Build a gallows, take his life. It's not, hasn't he already done enough? He's sworn out warrants to end the life of all the Jews that live in the kingdom, but he couldn't wait for that. Now his wrath has so consumed him that he's gone to the point that he said, look, this needs to happen. And the, his wife is saying, and his counselor is saying, just build the gallows. And he builds the gallows to take the life. And he goes in early to meet with the king. And as he comes in to meet with the king, the king says, what's going to be done for the guy who the king delights in? And now he's marching Mordecai through the streets, still full of wrath and anger and burning within him. And he said, what am I going to do? And then now Queen Esther outs the whole program. And lo and behold, the king says, take him and hang him on the gallows that he built for Mordecai. Wrath and anger can take you to a point you never thought you'd go. It's destructive at its core. And it will destroy you. So I was down and preached revival a few weeks ago in Spokane, Missouri. <clears throat> and I asked Brother Scholl, I said, uh, I want to go to jail. I want to see my friend Matt. So he took me over there. Get a phone, you got a little screen. That's the closest you get. Visiting with my friend for 30 minutes. And he told me, he said, I just wish I would have called. Just wish I would. I said, It's worse than you think. You would have called me the time that you were committing this horrible thing. You would have called me. I was five minutes away out here on the highway. Could have been to you in five minutes.
spent his whole life here. Totally young. Family's life to ruin. Just a horrible mess. All because anger turned to wrath. Because anger turned to wrath, the man died. Family shed. My friend would probably spend the rest of his life in jail. It's an important topic, people. You guys right here, you need to learn to control your anger. Mom and dad, you need to set on. Don't let them spout off and be dumb. Don't do it, guys. Learn to control your anger. Girls, you need to learn to control your anger, too. You know how I know girls get angry? Because Proverbs talks about a brawling woman. Better for a man to live on a housetop than with a brawling woman. The woman who can't control her anger. So these sermons don't come <clears throat> without a lot of love behind them. I want God's best for you. I don't want you to end up in a situation that you will regret the rest of your life. And us adults, we've got to check ourselves. You know the best preacher in my household? He's right there. He helped me in those early years with my anger. Does he really think that's the way you ought to act? Boy, that didn't go over. <laughs> but you know the one thing she knows is that he might say something and the Holy Spirit will beat me up with it day after day after day. I've often said in the quiet of the night then the things are brought up and I remember now she replays the whole day throughout the night. She gets up, why do you think this and why do you think that? And I'm like, oh no. But I'm just saying, let's control our anger and let's make sure it doesn't become wrath. If you need help with it, I'll be glad to talk with you. My wife would be glad to talk with the ladies about it. We just need to control it. It needs to be controlled that we don't ruin our lives, but that we can effectively live for Jesus Christ here on this. Lord Jesus, I love you, and I thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for this time together this morning. I pray to God that you would use this invitation however you would see fit for your honor and for your glory. We love you and we ask these things in your blessed name. Amen. Would you stand with us today? Sing, I've decided to follow Jesus. If God spoke to your heart, you come. However God might be leading your life today, I'd encourage you to come. And to follow Jesus, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow.
turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back. Turning back, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Grabbed me this morning as I came in, and I'm walking through the facilities. He goes, "Hey, preacher, I got saved Thursday night." I said, "What? What? What? What'd you say? How'd you say that?" Um, I got saved on Thursday. Um, it was like eleven forty something that night, and the Lord was just speaking to me. And I just wasn't living the way I'm supposed to be, so I called up Brother Chuck, and um, yeah, I just prayed, and I got saved. So, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Anybody upset? No, that'd be the craziest thing. But isn't that one of the devil's greatest lies? Oh, well, people thought you've been a Christian. You don't want to do that. No, Jay, that was the best decision you ever made. I know that you're saved, got it settled, heaven's your eternal home. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Um, Brother James is going to come with announcements. Brother Chuck, why don't you come and stand with Brother Jay? We'll be baptizing him here in a week or two. Uh, but I wanted you to hear the good news, and uh, you'd be praying for him, okay? You guys just stay there. All right, we have a couple of uh, announcements to be mindful here from Bulletin. The ladies' meeting's coming up on the 20th here at the church at 7 o'clock. Patch program coming up on the 23rd. Afternoon service, they have the patch program. That is going to to experience here. Then we have the Fall Praise Festival coming up out at the Fosters on the 29th. It uh, begins at 4.30 in the afternoon. Sign-up sheet, back table. You can sign up for all the things spring. And then the teen fundraiser will be on the 31st also to help raise money uh, for camp. So for the things coming up after that, that in mind. Let's all stand as we're dismissed in prayer this morning. Trent, uh, would you dismiss us in prayer, please?